realistically giving myself a bit of humble pie in terms of working, racing in that field, racing with those people and seeing like, yeah, yeah, this is what my body can do. And this is a challenge as well as this is a challenge that really fills my cup. Welcome back to the next episode of the Trail Running Women podcast, where we hear stories from badass women around the world about running life and how it all mixes together. Today's podcast is with Eva Gifford. She is someone who I met on a group run while I was on a work trip, actually, to a mountain town in Rossland, BC. I had the opportunity to chat with her a little bit before the group run started, uh, when we were adding a few kilometers, and thought she was pretty interesting and also very smart. So she 30, can speak better than I can. She's 30 years old and is currently a chiropractor. But the part I thought was interesting is she's looking at the potential that chiropractic therapy has for athletes. If you look at the source and change a little bit how it's done. So anyways, I'll let her talk more about that. It's a really brave thing she's doing to say this is something that can really help athletes stay fit doing the sports they love long term if we are willing to open our minds to how it can be used and to take exercises home uh, and more of kind of a physio basis. She's also a super badass runner herself. We get into success she had as a kid. Um, in various sports and then getting into the trails as she got older and what her goals are moving forward. Today's episode is brought to us by Gooder Sunglasses. So we're midsummer and it is time to make sure you have enough sunglasses to get you through the rest of the summer and hopefully sunny fall months that we have. So go over to gooder.com backslash TRW to check out some of my favorites. They are absolutely coming out with the most stylish pairs I have ever seen them have. And you guys know we've worked for a while with them. And now you can get full face Pfizer sunglasses like I had on my Instagram story and I could not be more excited. Are they in the mail to me right now? They are. I don't think I've ever been as cool as I will be when these finally arrive. So check them out. They're affordable. They don't slip. They don't bounce. They're actually the most affordable sunglasses that you can wear during a run that will not bug you. I promise you that. You can use discount code TRW15 at checkout for 15% off. That's TRW15 for 15% off at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by Spartan Trail Races. So we have only a few discount codes left. Spartan Trail Races is putting on a promotion to grow their trail races and they're in some of the most beautiful places across North America and listeners to the Trail Running Women podcast have the opportunity to get a discount code for a free race entry and you guys know how expensive those are getting these days so take advantage. Take a photo of you running, training, racing and tag at Spartan and at Hillsport 55 hashtag Spartan Trail and I will send you the discount code. Now, these are not obstacle races. They are just the trail races that Spartan is putting on. We had some confusion. We had a very good listener and very good runner do a race waiting to run across fire. Guess what? No, just a trail race from 5K to ultra epic places with a discount code that I will get you if you go on Instagram and post a photo. All of those details will be in the show notes as well. So I urge you to go and try and do that. Okay. Last thing I'll say, if you want to leave us a review, that's amazing. That's how people find us. 
And furthermore, you can go to Patreon. That link is in my Instagram at hillsport55 to find the backlog of episodes because as they disappear off Apple and Spotify, you can find them there. Okay, I'll leave it at that. I'll let Eva tell her story. Thank you. I'm here today with a guest that I had the pleasure of meeting in person a few weeks ago. Welcome to the show, Eva Gifford. Thanks for having me, Hillary. I'm super excited. This is my first podcast. (laughs) So Eva is originally from Rossland, and I was up there for a work trip, and we got connected through a group, which is what I think is super cool about trail running, is that you don't have to know people in person and somehow we're all connected. And I got to go out with her running group that she leads and it was absolutely stunning territory and listen to a bit of the conversations you were having with other people and kind of a bit about your work. Um, and you're still quite young to be doing the things that you're doing. Um, so I just wanted to chat about your story as a runner, as well as um, life as a chiropractor and all of that sort of stuff. So as we usually do on the show, let's start with a bit of your history and tell us about growing up in Rossland. Yeah, growing up in Rossland, the small, tiny town of about 3,000, maybe probably 4,000 people now. Um, <laughs> definitely feels like you grow up in a bit of a bubble in this community. We're so unique in terms of everyone just loves to be outside. Like from an early age, you're on skis, you're, well, nowadays on a bike, on the trails. Um, So I feel very fortunate to have grown up in such a small, unique town. And I came back two years, nope, 2019. Wow, time flies. About uh, four years ago now, almost, Um, because the lifestyle is just something that you can't beat. Um, If you love to be outdoors, active, and with a community of like-minded people, um, the Rosslyn's the place to be. Uh, definitely, I found growing up could be a bit difficult in terms of access to things. We don't have uh, sports like places like the Lower Mainland does track and field, which is what I did. My friend and I were the only people on the track team, um, but still just a really unique wonderful childhood growing up in more of a community. It's really the community and the people here that raise you versus, you know, just your parents. It's really everybody around you. Really, really cool place. And I can't speak highly enough of Rossland. That's super cool. You're right. As you were explaining that, it is so unique now to have a town with the access to the trail network and the mountains that you have, as well as being still such a small community, like everything else has become this huge resort. And I know the mountain is big in the winter and lots of people travel there, but it still doesn't have the same like crazy boom of Whistler or anything. So you definitely have a unique is the only word that you're totally right. That is the only word that I can think of. It's one of the last, when we think about the ski hill, the Red Mountain Resort, it is kind of one of the last, it's not locally owned anymore, but it still has that flavor of being a locals resort versus, uh, you know, something owned by Vail or a bigger ski company, which is great. No kidding. Yeah, I left right after I graduated. Um, I originally went to Simon Fraser was my first little stint away. Um, I did I redshirted because I had a broken foot, but I ran track and cross country for about a year and a half. And honestly, I I couldn't cut it in the city. Um, just from being here, it was a bit too 
overwhelming. And even though the campus is situated right on trails, um, I just, it was too much for me, wasn't the right fit. So I ended up um, migrating over to Victoria also to chase a little bit of that lovely triathlon dream. Um, So I moved to UVic and I spent seven, almost seven years on the island. And that was amazing. Just absolutely such a neat experience. I almost, almost moved back there. Uh, And then for grad school, I ended up down in Portland, Oregon for three years, which was probably some of the most defining three years of my life in terms of how, where I saw myself in the future. And also really just learning uh, for running what running community was. That was the biggest shaping experience for sure down in Portland. Wow. Okay. Those are awesome places to live. I absolutely love Victoria and Portland. So I, I have two kind of directions I want to go with questions, but let's start with your running and triathlon career before we get into kind of your career career. Um, so when you say tracing or ra- chasing <laughs> triathlon dreams, how old were you when you started doing triathlon and what were your goals with that? Funny story. My first triathlon was actually my same graduation weekend from high school. <laughs> so I had grad on whatever the Friday night grad party. And then I raced my first Olympic distance race on the Saturday in uh, Wassa triathlon out in Cranbrook. And uh, yeah, I, I actually got into the sport from my music teacher and there was a group of triathletes here in Rosslyn, and there still is a few, not many, but there's a few. And throughout my final, I think, grade 12 year, these people really kind of took me in and would drive me to the pool in the morning. I would ride my bike in their basement. Uh, and all these you know, people in their 15, 16 years older than me would train with me and take me on bike rides. It was awesome. Um so that's kind of how I started with try, but I still wanted to pursue running. So as I mentioned earlier, we had a track team here in the Rossland Trail area, but very small, no resources, one coach and maybe 10 kids, not a lot. Um, but it was fun. You know, you want to run, have fun with your friends. So uh, I did track a bit. I was lucky enough, I don't know how, that I got invited to be on the track and field team um, for Simon Fraser. So I went there pursuing that, thinking that I was going to run middle distance. Uh, Britt Townsend has just an amazing program for 800 meter runners. Uh, Lindsay Butterworth, I think she's currently second or maybe third ranked, maybe in the world, I think, for 800 meters. Anyways, uh, I went there thinking I was going to do that, but really my love of running was just, I like to run long distance and I also really like to get injured, it seems. So (laughs) cross training and doing triathlon seemed to be kind of that better fit. And I started talking with a coach in Victoria who said she could put me on a development team uh, for triathlon. Um, Her name was Noah Deutsch and I thought, yeah, why not? Let's go race this and have fun and see where I can go. And ended up making the move over to Victoria, one, for mental health to be in a different place, and two, really just to spend being able to train year-round, be with more like-minded people that way. Uh, and it, I raced up until I started grad school, um, did a lot of Olympic distance racing, 
um, quite a few 70.3s. I really like the longer distance things. Uh, and it was great. It was uh, grueling, 25 hours a week or more of training on top of school, on top of trying to work part-time jobs wasn't ideal, but you know, you're young, you're like, I could do it, no problem. Uh, and then you burn yourself out. <laughs> but yeah, I loved it. It just kind of shaped a lot of who I am and um, the connections in sport, those people that I've met on the island uh, through racing and training are still some of my really good friends. So yeah, it was a long foray into that world. I sometimes, sometimes I miss it. I'm going to start swimming again this, uh, this July, <laughs> but it, uh, yeah, it was an interesting time, but something that I'm kind of happy to have closed the door on for now. <laughs> I had some triathlon in my life and got back into the pool the other day and was like, Hmm, for like part of the triathlon that I always was like, this is the easy part. Swimming is not easy when you haven't done it for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm I'm dreading that get back into the pool and it's masters so that means there's fly which that's just gonna be that's so brutal. funny that's exactly <laughs> what I did I jumped into a master's class and they were like okay it's medley and I was like oh no this was the wrong day to come up and then started doing fly and I was like I'm gonna get halfway across the pool and be like hold on I need a second here <laughs> but it's so fun and it's so great for the so mm -hmm. okay yeah. so you mentioned a little bit that you were getting some injuries but this is while you're in victoria um competing in triathlon and then kind of jumped to closing the door so what happened to make you think okay maybe this isn't something i want to pursue anymore competitively with um like 25 hours is more than a part-time job right so going from what sounds like 100 percent, how do you decide mm -hmm. to start tapering off and um I guess also how was that mentally yeah good questions um I think the biggest the biggest thing was cost uh you know, as you know like they're not Ironman's not cheap uh three four hundred bucks for like an entry fee and then travel costs bike costs I was really lucky that I a friend of mine used to race professionally and she gave me her triathlon bike. It was such a nice felt bike on um, on a loan. So I paid her back slowly and she gave it to me for a good deal. So, you know, gear costs, wetsuit costs, coaching costs, and then the racing, traveling. Uh, as a student, you know, I'm just broke. <laughs> so that was a huge factor of just realistically looking at it. I didn't have the ability to get there to race um, to really put myself out there at that higher level. It just wasn't possible financially. And then really being after I, I tried for, I think about a year while I was in grad school, I did race Whistler 70.3 was my last race. And it just, with the demands of being in the chiropractic program, I really didn't have time to train properly. Um, I did notice my relationships were suffering definitely in the times when I was in Victoria, I blew through several because I didn't have the ability to uh, compromise. You know, the three hour ride was a three hour ride on Saturday and I wouldn't be doing anything else. And um, learning that within school and realizing that this is my career here, this is the future, not racing triathlon. Um, that I needed to make a sacrifice. And 
I think that sport is something that you can always do. It doesn't it doesn't matter, you know. Yes, going back to the pool hurts when you have to jump into a IM workout, but uh, it's something that you can always pick up later in life. And really, looking at the professionals in the sport, it's only the top one, you know, the Marinda Carfrays and um, the Daniela Reefs of this world that make a living from the sport. So knowing that that wouldn't happen for me, I really would just need to have a job and maybe do triathlon on the side. That was a huge, a huge factor as well as kind of rediscovering my love for trail running. When I lived in um, Portland, the Pacific Northwest just has this little niche community of runners, trail runners and ultra runners there uh, that really kind of brought back my love of running. Running was has always been my number one thing that I love to do. And being able to be surrounded by a community of really talented people down there um, made me realize that, yeah, I can still do sport. I can still do endurance, long sport, and fills my cup that way more so than triathlon. But I don't have to spend 25 hours. I can, you know, run around 10 hours a week and I can still do all these big, long, long days and (laughs) exhaust myself. Um, but it doesn't have to be in this really driven, um, kind of, I don't want to talk bad about triathlon, but I found that it was just all consuming. Everything was triathlon, no room for nothing else. And maybe that was just me being immature and not being able to have the balance. Um, but I found a better balance with life, with trail running, having, you know, starting a career as a professional. It just kind of made the fit and made the transition easier, as well as knowing returning back to Rossland. It's, uh, yeah, the the road biking here, we don't have a lot of it. You, You buy a mountain bike and you get rid of your spandex. You buy baggy mountain biking shorts and you learn to love the trails that way. So... A few a few things really kind of contributed to it, but it definitely still does feel like it's the right the right decision that I made to switch switch things over or I guess switch things back to back to the trail running scene. I'm sure it wasn't an easy decision at the time, but it does sound that way now, or maybe you've just come to realize like well, everything you said, I guess, or come to because I find something mm-hmm. like it can be a struggle when you're that age too, and so much of your time is dedicated to something to be like. This isn't like the first thing I introduce myself as anymore. Um, But it also sounds for you Mm. like you had a lot of other things going on. So let's kind of tie it together with how you decided to become a a chiropractor. Yeah, funny enough, it was uh, triathlon, actually. Um, When I started training in Victoria, uh, two, yeah, two chiropractors, um, Derek, Dr. Derek Binge and uh, Dr. Clay Ward, they, I believe it just graduated from the same school that I went to in Portland, um, both very talented athletes, and they were living and training with us in Victoria. And of course, as a triathlete, you get injured and you need little maintenance from constantly training. So I started working with them uh, as chiropractors. They worked on uh, more with Dr. Clay Ward, I'm really working on like my biomechanics and you know the cranky shoulder from swimming. So I got introduced to chiropractic in a light that seemed a lot like physiotherapy. 
I never went to a chiropractor as a kid. Um, my dad's ex-partner was a physiotherapist, so I lived with someone in home that could help me with my injuries, which was great. And how these guys were presenting chiropractic, I was like, oh, this is sweet. You have um, the same knowledge as a physio, but your doctorate just allows you to do a little bit more. Your scope is just a little bit bigger in terms of you can help with my nutrition. You can counsel me on a few things. You can um, just have a deeper look at what things are going on. Um, that's kind of was like to me, oh, this is sweet. Like I want to do this. I always had wanted to go into the medical field, wanting to be some type of like an orthopedic surgeon or a sports medicine doctor. I really love the hands-on and I love how the body works, but seeing how a sports medicine doctor, that's about 12 to 14 years of schooling. And then you're still really not that hands-on. You don't get to work with your patient and teach them and it's actually spend time educating about their bodies and what's going on. You have that quick initial visit. And then oftentimes it's a referral to another professional to actually deal with what's happening. So seeing that, hey, I can do this with only, yeah, that was still 10 years of school, but <laughs> I can take the shorter route and do this and I'll still get that same satisfaction out of my job. So I just thought, yeah, why not? I'll do that. Meanwhile, I was still pretty much prepared to go into um, medical school. I was signed up for the MCAT um, just before I left to go to Portland. And I got a call basically saying from the University of Western States, which is where I did my chiropractic doctorate, saying, yeah, you're, you're in the program. And classic me, I had a bout of imposter syndrome thinking that yeah, I'll never get into medical school. Like my grades aren't good enough. I'm not good enough to get in. So I didn't write the MCAT, which I do have to say is a bit of a regret of mine. It's something that I have struggled with of do I go or early in my career? Do I go back to school? Do I, you know, go to medical school? Do I do that route um, or not? And so I, I left it and I went to Portland and started chiropractic school and I was um, shocked. <laughs> I didn't realize that chiropractic was what it was um, from what I experienced it as and the professionals in Victoria that taught me about it. I pretty much thought it was the same as physiotherapy. It's not. It depends on how you practice, but I really learned um, that there was a whole different side to how people practice chiropractic. And in that moment, I thought, oh, okay, this is going to be different. It's going to be a bit of a struggle uh, to practice how I want to practice and to um, teach people and show people, especially knowing that I was going to be coming back to a very small town, um, to teach them like this is modern chiropractic. It's not all, I call it cracky backy, but it's not all cracky backy. Um, so yeah, at that moment, and really since I've been through, I started school in 2017, so it's only been five years and I've only been out of school since I started practice in 2020. Uh, it, it's been, I'm not gonna lie, it's been a really big struggle to um, come across as I am a chiropractor, but I'm not just going to crack your back and send you out the door. I look at your body as a whole, 
we work on exercise and, uh, you know, I might not crack your back. I might give you some education about what you're doing and how to optimize your load and teach you things. And it's that internal, like, do I go back to school? Do I quit this career or do I stick it out? And do I just be patient and teach people what I do versus that traditional mindset of what chiropractic is? So it's been a really interesting five, 10 year school journey of um, (laughs) getting to a career that I know in the end will be uh, fruitful if I'm patient with it, but it definitely is a uphill, uphill struggle. But good thing I like going uphill. (laughs) Just want to take a quick break to introduce a new sponsor that we have. MetPro. So they reached out to me and at first I thought it might look like it was more of a diet program, but I looked into it and I actually think it is such a great fit for us because we talk so much about nutrition and everybody asks, what do I eat and how do I know how much to eat? And these guys are going to help you find exactly what works for you. So it's a proven platform to help athletes that are looking to transform increase power and optimize their metabolic rate to maintain their energy and performance. So, so if you head over to metpro, M-E-T-P-R-O.co backslash T-R-W, you can get a complimentary metabolic profile assessment and a 30 minute consultation with a MetPro expert. So I'm actually gonna do that in a few weeks too to find out what kind of food is gonna fuel me best. And they are going to find out what your body responds against in a very specific set of variables. And then they're trained to take those results and translate them into some action steps, including how and what we should eat and what the strategy should be to perform our best. So again, that's metpro.co, M-E-T-P-R-O.co backslash T-R-W for a free 30-minute consultation with a MetPro expert and find out what will work for you. Okay, so that's what I was so interested in. And I'm so glad that you said all of that because I think it's, I see a chiropractor And I think they're probably somewhere in the middle Mm -hmm. of what you're talking about, where I know that they work with a lot of athletes, but I think there's like a missing piece that I think you were kind of hinting to there. That's like, okay, so if I'm coming in every time because the same thing keeps happening, um, yes, I'm getting relief and it's kind Mm -hmm. of a nice bandaid, but like, why am I back all of the time? Um, Yeah. So can you, do you have any Mm -hmm. more details on like, what started to make you realize that there was a different aspect to this that you wanted to try to look at and some of the struggles, like, I mean, that's pretty vague. I don't know. Does that kind of make sense as a question? Yeah. Yeah. So like how I, so like what I basically was like one of the first courses, um, that I took in the program was like the philosophy of chiropractic um, and about like this whole, they call it this garden hose theory of a nerve being pinched and causing interference. And then this area of your body not working properly. And my science brain was like, no, (laughs) that doesn't make any sense. That's not right. And luckily the program that we were in is one of the best programs throughout. There's only two uh, schools in Canada, and then there's a lot in America for chiropractic. But the program at Western States is one of the top evidence-based programs. So luckily, 
we are taught or evidence informed, I should say, luckily, you're taught to look at research and understand actually what is happening um, in the body with these chiropractic adjustments and manipulations that um, we are taught to be experts in, as well as how to properly, you know, diagnose and assess and prevent back pain, spine pain, etc. Um, so with that, and how my brain works, it was kind of like, okay, like, this is this is a big struggle. Uh, I see what you're teaching me in class. But then I read the research and I understand on this level how the body works. So these two things that were being taught don't mesh properly together. And I'm not the only one that felt like that. A lot of people that I graduated in my class, well, funny enough, a lot of them are Canadians. Uh, we all, we do practice very similarly. We're uh, evidence-based. We like to give exercise because we realize and we know um, because of what evidence shows exercise is that like it's going to get you better it's that 99% is how you get better is with the home care with the exercises uh loading it properly looking at the picture as a whole and not to discount though that 1% or whatever it might be that you go in for relief manual therapy hands on work feels good and it's not to discount that you need to have that like ah I feel better I can move better uh and you're more inclined to do your exercises uh and that is huge if people feel better they're going to then work on their exercises they're going to feel better about themselves um be more inspired work on whatever they need to work on so doing hands-on stuff adjustments etc is a good thing, but I think it's really important. Um, the piece that is kind of missing is education and telling your patients what they should expect when they come into a visit. And that's something that I believe very strongly with my practice is educating and telling people, this is what to expect out of a visit with myself. I don't practice traditional chiropractic. I practice like this. And having that conversation up front, I think, really does help the patient realize if they are the right fit for coming into my office versus, oh, I'm not going to, you know, you're telling me that your ankle hurts, but you expect me to pull on your leg, adjust your mid-back, crack your neck, and crack your low back. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. So having those uh, expectations set out at the beginning of an appointment, I think, really does help people determine is this the right fit or not and hopefully if they've been treated in that style in the past before help them realize that they don't have to come every week I don't want to see them every week I'd rather give them exercises so that they can get better and not see me and eventually yeah you'll inevitably be injured again and come back when that happens um, but the education is the biggest piece for that in teaching people to empower themselves to say, oh yeah, you know, if you want pain relief, no problem. I used to go see my chiropractor and I still see the physios that I work with for myself. I see them probably every three, four weeks for something to keep things under control. And there's nothing wrong with that when you perform at a higher level. You want to keep your body moving. It feels good. Why not? Uh, but knowing why I think is the the biggest thing of, okay, this is happening. I can do 
these things to keep my body at this level. I can work on this exercise to prevent this type of problem that happens in my knee, for example. But knowing that, yeah, a crack every week is, as you said, it's just a band-aid. It doesn't actually fix the problem. And so I think it's very important to find practitioners and therapists. And it's not just chiropractors. This could be a physio, massage therapist, anybody that really works in the realm of working with bodies, finding those practitioners and therapists that can educate you and that teach you about your body. I think that's the most important part. And it's just about having that conversation and dialogue with your practitioner and asking them like, Hey, what is this actually doing? And if they're up to date and they're on it, they're going to tell you the truth of what they're doing. And I think that's the biggest thing that we need to do is just be a little bit more honest about our jobs and what we do um, to educate the public. And it's, I don't think it harms business. The chiropractic, unfortunately, is a business model a lot of the time where patients in the door, in the door, in the door, you know, you're seeing 20, 30 people a day. And that's not patient-centered care. That's money-making care. And in order, I think, to have a better fulfilling practice, at least for myself, is I want to have those connections with my patients. I want to have people trust me. um, And I want to get them better so they're not constantly coming in the office. So if that kind of felt a little rambly there, but if that answers your question um, with that, hopefully that answers your question. (laughs) It totally does. Everything you said made a lot of sense. And I'm feeling like I also think it's really brave kind of what you're doing. And I know you kind of mentioned before struggling with it a little bit, like, should I go back to school and what have you, because you are kind of going against the current. Um, But it's obviously such a, a gap that needs filling. Well, I think that's super impressive, especially because you are 30, correct? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just turned yeah. 30. So yeah. that's people listening. are going to be like, what? Because <laughs> you definitely sound way wiser than that. Let's get a bit into your racing because time is flying by here. But I'm, thank you so much for sharing all of that so openly. I'm, I'm stoked. That's kind of what I was hoping yeah. you would say. And I think the more people hear that kind of thing, like other people who are younger and getting into the category can be like, okay, this is how I can make like this type of treatment kind of fit um, my lifestyle and what I believe in and all of that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. So, so looking at your ultra sign up, it looks yeah. like you switched over to trail running and jumped in some pretty intense races pretty quick. So I think we talked a bit about Finlayson. So that makes sense. Cause you were probably over there and then some like pretty fast, um, 50 yeah. K deception pass and chuck a nut, some big competitive, um, 50k racing. So tell us a little bit about deciding to jump into ultra races and not just short trail runs. I I think it's that like coming from triathlon, doing the 70.3 distance, so like five hours, five and a half hours of racing, depending on the course. And I was like, yeah, so I can swim, bike, and run for this long. <laughs> can I run for this long? Uh, that was my logic to it, as well as just again being in that Portland state of mind with uh run groups there there was the territory run club and um there's a few other groups within Portland but I would go to those group runs and all of these athletes would just like come out of the woodwork and they're all just these badass ultra runners 
Um, a friend of mine, Alex Borsuk, she's amazing. She was probably one of my biggest inspirations of this girl is crushing it in the mountains. She's such a talented runner, such a nice person as well. Uh, professional. She works as a registered dietitian. Um, and she's not the only one. There's so many other people like that. And I was like, man, this is so cool. Like if they can do it, can I do it too? Um, and trail running just from growing up in Rossland, I started running, I think when I was like in grade four and I'd run with my dad. He still runs. He's 75. Actually, it's his birthday today, 75. Happy birthday, dad. And, uh, he, (laughs) he, I'd run with him on the trails. So trails were, my first love of where I'd run. And I just thought, okay, well, I'll run longer. Because <laughs> why not see what my body can do? And where are those limits? I think that was the biggest thing of finding like, where are my limits with that? And I love being outside. Um, I'm definitely a bit of an endurance addict. I Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> addict is the, the right term to say it's an acceptable form of addiction, I think. Um, and I jumped into, I think I ran a race on the Oregon coast. It was like a 30 K and I thought, okay, well, my friend had signed up for the deception pass and she wasn't able to make it. So she was like, Hey, why don't, you know, what do you think? Do you want to challenge yourself with this? And so I thought, okay, yeah, in six weeks, if I ran 30, you know, can I do 50? So I took her entry and went to deception pass which luckily I have family that live right down on Camino Island. So across from Whitby and did the race. My good friend and roommate came with me and was my support crew. And she watched my dog for the race. And it was so fun. I ended up running with people. A lot of people from Victoria came down to do the race. So I ended up running and being like crash course mentored in how to run an ultra while I was running the 50k my friend from the island was like okay you need to eat here's this candy keep going keep running keep eating um it was great like I was definitely wrecked Uh, wore shorts for a race in December like an idiot and I was like it's fine I'm from Canada I'll be fine um but it was just it was fun it was a challenge and I got the bug for doing it I thought okay you know I did this can I do it better? Can I do it faster? Uh, I did another race, I think the following Tillamook Burn, which is a beautiful course. Um, and Oregon and Washington, they just have so many races that you can do. There's so many things that you can jump into and do. And they're decently competitive, just with the deep amount of talent that's in that Pacific Northwest area. There's so many good runners. So it just makes for a a fast course, a fast race based on those people that show up. Um, and Finlayson arm, I was working, actually do work with Mike LaBelle. Uh, I coach for him and, uh, Finlayson presented as a huge challenge. As you know, it's a hard course to do. Uh, the 28 case, super fun. I unfortunately had to drop out of the 50 due to injury, uh, but yeah, it's just, a the ultra scene and the trail running scene is, it's a challenge. It's, uh, what can you do as well as something that when I'm running trails and when I can run for a long time, I just, it's my time that my brain can just go on autopilot. So I can shut off. I can not think about work or I can overthink about work. Um, but it's just a time to kind of be free, to be creative 
and see the world in a different lens, being outside, running in the mountains, um, going to those places that normally could take people two, three days to hike, but you can run it in a day. It's a long day, but you can do it. Um, I think that's just such a cool challenge as well as with adding that racing element, just pushes yourself just a little bit more in terms of um, what can you do? What can you get out of your body and really taking it to that line of where can I go with this? Will I push myself to injury? Will I, you know, get this result? Will I do better? Um, and definitely within working with a coach now and looking at racing, like with Chuck and it kind of was like, yeah, I want to, you know, I want to race this. I want to have a faster time. I was so <laughs> didn't realize that the Chuck and Nut field was so deep, like hugely talented field. And I was like, I want top 10. And then I looked at the times and I was like, never mind, like top 30 will be just fine because it's stacked. Um, so looking at those things and realistically giving myself a bit of humble pie in terms of working, racing in that field, racing with those people and seeing like, yeah, yeah, this is what my body can do. And this is a challenge as well as this is a challenge that really fills my cup in terms of who I want to be, what I want to be doing, that type of thing. So yeah, ultra running trail racing has really just been, um, my happy place, I guess. Um, even not racing with COVID over the last two years, uh, it's still been just that like every day I can go for a run or I can be outside and, uh, I'm working towards something even just on a personal level. Um, it's been, yeah, wonderful. I love that you have such a good balance there of like the things you mentioned just about being outside and getting to kind of get to places that you normally wouldn't be able to get to with the pack because of how long it takes and all of that stuff, which comes up a lot. Um, and then also being competitive, but being reasonable because you're right. I think some areas where trail running isn't as big as the Pacific Northwest, like you're never going to show up to a race that has the people that are in Chuckanut and even to be able to like, be in the race with them is is amazing so it sounds like you have a pretty good mindset on like what you're actually up against over here too so that's pretty cool to, to see and I think that helps um keep the enjoyment instead of that like I'm a big fish deal and then you get up into a race where the pond is big and you're like oh shit and like have that not deflate you yeah yeah that's a, I think and that's a huge thing like we we do have a lot of very talented runners in this West Kootenai area. I'm sure you've heard of uh, Jasmine Lowther, Meta Nelson. She's a friend of mine that just absolutely stormed onto the scene. She was third at Chuckanut and then she ran canyons and just wire to wire destroyed that race. Um, so there's a lot of talent here. Um, but for me, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to be like that. I could do well, um, but I know realistically where I'm at and that enjoyment is more so of what can I do personally? What are my goals as well as like, how can I foster community and, you know, bring this to more people, make them um, have that same enjoyment and try and say, Hey, like this is a really cool sport. The community and the people are awesome. Like, man, I'm doing a podcast from trail running. <laughs> so how can I bring this uh, community to other people? And for me, that involvement and 
saying like, hey, you know, we can, we're hopefully this run club getting kids to come run. Uh, like, how can I teach this to younger generations? How can I bring this to other people that might really appreciate running in the community? And you don't have to run ultras to do that, which is kind of cool. Totally. And you do such a good job of that up there, which I thought like the run club was so inviting and for a small town, I think there was like 20 people out. Um, yeah. So that's so cool. And I, I love that those are your, your goals. Um, and I guess kind of last question too, what are, what are your big dream goals with ultra running besides all of the work you're doing in the community? Um, because like, obviously as a coach and a run leader and, um, like the group runs is a lot of work and that's not paid. So I just want to acknowledge all of that, that you're doing for people. Um, but on a personal note for a big race, what are your, what's like a dream goal race? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Good question. Also, yeah. Shout out to Erin. She's my co-leader for the run club. So it's not all just me. Erin does definitely, she helps out quite a bit as well. Um, but yeah, I I signed up for my first 100 miler this uh, late September. So that's, it was my goal the year that I turned 30. Yay. Yay. I wanted to do 100 miles. Yeah. Um, so, but I think I, I would love to, of course, this is like the cliche, every ultra runner, but I would love to race in Europe, UTMB or not even UTMB, but something in Europe, like 100 miles in Europe or 100k in Europe, something over in the Alps. Like I remember when we spoke when we were running, you were telling me about Europe and I was like, oh, I gotta go. <laughs> um, but I'd love to do something like that. Um, I'd see as a goal, but also I'm really loving just doing projects and tying things together. Um, even in my own backyard, the cost of travel is a lot. So um, my goals kind of for future wise are what can I do in my own backyard? And what can I do for play and fun and make, you know, make a hundred mile route, make a hundred K route, uh, involve people, make it fun. Um, racing wise, I think, you know, I like my kind of stick in the competitive age group area or like top 10s, top 20s. Like I really like that. And I think I can, with working, with coaching, with co- with my coach, um, push myself to get those results and put in the work because that is to me a rewarding thing is put in the work and then run the race get the results um, so looking at that distance working towards that and I know it's going to take several years to get there it's always that long term look ahead to the long term um, but I really don't that's instantly more rewarding and fun for me to do versus say, Oh yeah, I'm going to go fly and do this race in Europe, which is also so cool. But just having that, like, this is my plan. I created this race or for myself on this route. Uh, I think that's more where I see myself in the future. I don't know. It's uh, we'll see how the hundred miler goes <laughs> in September. And then maybe I'll have a different answer. Maybe I'll be hooked on hundred milers by then. Something in that route of just going going long, spending time outside, and pushing myself a little bit more. I think that's definitely what the future holds for myself in the sport. That's awesome. I love that. And I think 100 milers are so mental that with your like positive outlook on things, I think you're going to do awesome and totally be addicted. So I look forward to the 100 miler that you create, and I will come run it. <laughs> okay, last question. Um, this is a difficult one, and I didn't warn you, so if it... if just the first three that come to your head. If you could describe trail running in three words, what would they be? 
That's a hard one. I'm like, oh my gosh, let's see. I'm just going to like go with the like top things. I'm not even going to think about it too much. Um, Messy, chaotic, and I don't even know what the best word to describe this. I would say like just brilliant, soul-filling, brilliant, something along those lines that just describes the best amount of joy, fun, mixed with hardness. That would be... (laughs) That would be what I could say. That's not three words. Those are, those are excellent. And it's so amazing to me. Like I've asked so many people and I don't, nobody has used those three words and they're all like, they're all so accurate. So that's me. So thank you so much for your time. If our listeners want to reach out to you or see more about um, maybe they're local to you and your services, where's the best place to find you on the interwebs? Yeah, um, probably Instagram, as most people. Um, my handle for Rossland Run Club is literally that, at Rossland Run Club, all one word. Um, and my personal handle is at Eva Giff. Um, and that I have linked to the Rossland Run Club account, as well as um, my professional Alpine Sports Fine where I work out of the two different clinics. So probably just Eva GIF because that links everything. (laughs) Okay, awesome. And I'll link to all of that in the show notes. Um, So thank you again.